the second week of Advent. Inside the walls of the church were people waiting for something, we said last week. How are you doing with creating moments where, where God can connect with you, where God can speak to you, God whisper or thunder into your presence? How are you doing? You been successful this week? We'd love to hear about it, by the way, if you'd log on to the website and send a, uh, just a report to us. How's it going? What are you doing? What's working for you? What are you hearing when you wait on God? I told you last week that I, I'm having these driveway moments every night when I come home from work. If you were here, you heard me speak about our Christmas lights. And in particular, there's this little heralding angel to the left of the house. For some reason, she has my attention this holiday. There she is. Now, it, she's simple, but what, whatever. I don't know why she has my attention this week. So my moments are in the driveway at night when all is still, and I turn the phone off, and I'm just quiet. And I reported to you last week that this was happening to me, and it only took a couple of days before I got up in the morning. I woke up one morning, and my sweet little Harold was upside down. <laughs> She wasn't only just off of her perch, but she was dangling by a cord. Her wings had fallen off to the ground, and she was just swaying in the wind last Sunday morning. It was really rather pathetic. I took this as a direct communication from God to me. I won't tell you all that I think it could mean. However, uh, luckily, when I called on my sweet husband and said, she's hanging by a cord, we need to help her, we got her back up on her perch, and we have clamped her down now. You see those wood clamps? She's not going anywhere. (laughs) I will have my driveway moment. And it occurs to me that perhaps people in waiting have to be this intentional. People intentionally wanting to have communication with God need to be this intentional, this serious, this committed about creating opportunities This week we're going to continue in Isaiah chapter 40, people in waiting. Chapter 40 is the beginning of uh, this last part of the book of Isaiah. We read from chapter 64 last week about people in waiting in exile begging for God to just show up in chapter 64. We're going to be in chapter 40 today, the beginning of this last of the three sections of Isaiah. Watch, would you, with the people in waiting here who are rather apprehensive and anxious Watch the words that come out of the mouth of God, actually. It, it, is, it is a group of people who are about ready to hear a divine decree. There's a council in heaven that's gathered. Hard for us to tell when we begin reading in verse 1 who's actually speaking. But there is a divine council. And the message is coming to a group in exile for a while now. Some of them have taken the advice of the prophet Jeremiah. They planted gardens. They built homes. They created families. They got comfortable and made Babylon, attempted to make Babylon home. Some of them are just, just longing to be back in Jerusalem in the little villages that dot Judea. Whatever their experience, they are apprehensive exiles, really, uh, mostly because the presence of God has been absent, mostly because they have interpreted being in exile to mean we are without God and this has happened to us because of all of our sin. God is absent. In fact, they don't really think they've felt the presence of God since their temple was destroyed. They know how far they are from home, spiritually speaking, the Israelites. 
so apprehensive that they are, now watch the words that come from God to them, carefully selected words, more like a lullaby than a news flash that comes from heaven. Pay attention for that and for the covenant language of my people and your God as the message comes from the divine council. Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed and that her sin has been paid for, that she had received from the Lord the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. A voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged plains places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all humans will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. It's a poem of assurance coming to the children of Israel, and listen for the different voices and the actions of God, very definite actions of God on behalf of his people. They're speaking and hearing and responding and proclaiming and much responsibility being taken by God. Specific actions. Do you notice that the people have had grief double their sins? Did you catch that line? For you have endured grief double your sins. What, what that might mean. Give that some thought this week. I believe it's one way of expressing you have suffered so much. You have endured far more than what anyone ought to. You've suffered double for your sins, the text says. Yet, yet, it's very apparent a bond still exists between God and these people. Though they've suffered, though they're exiled. And so here comes this announcement. Make a way. Make a highway. Create a space. Open up a connector between God and you. That's the invitation. Because where you're standing now in the desert, it's, it's going to gush with water. And the flowers are going to bloom again. And what looks like a wasteland will be a garden. You just keep your eyes open because God's presence will be known again. That's Isaiah 40. To an anxious, apprehensive people. Now, they know about highways and roads. These little things are, are really just grooves in the dirt for them. But they know when an emperor or a king comes that they spend an awful lot of energy making that little groove into an appropriate road for a king. They know what it is to meddle it over and make it smooth and make access fit so the divine can come into their presence. So when they hear, make a highway, that conjures up all sorts of image in their mind. It's hard work. It's cooperative work. It's collective work. They have to get ready. They have to prepare. And now, finally, here's this waiting people in exile with a task. They have something they can do now. They can prepare a highway. They can make a road, access for, for the king to come and get them out of exile. The waiting people will not just be waiting anymore. There is a way out now. If you're familiar with the underground in the UK, if you've been on the underground there, you know the, the little exit signs that they post around. What we are looking for as exit, they call the way out, Right? And you get accustomed to this after a few days in London, trying to find your way out of these substations. And sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's not. Sometimes you come to an intersection and everywhere you look, it's a way out. 
I have looked like that gentleman. I'll bet some of you have too. Which is the real way out. The invitation in Isaiah 40 to the children of Israel is a way out is now being offered to you. There is access once again. The presence of God is about to be with you. There's a way out. And for them, it's closely connected with their experience in exile. To be in exile means to be removed, to be cut off, to be disconnected, to be alienated, to be away from. So the invitation to build a highway is now an invitation to connect, to come close, to end the separation, to make a path that that reunites. And that must be what they hear when they hear, build a highway, make the presence of God back among you. For them, the experience of exile is significant. I'm reading the invitation to build a highway, a road that connects, a way out of exile. I'm reading it, one of the ways I'm reading it as repentance. Begin to take the steps back to God, Israel. Now, in the Bible, repentance is talked about a couple of different ways. In the Old Testament, especially the experience of the exile matters. When you've been cut off, when you've been alienated, take the steps you need to take now. Turn or return back towards your God. And in the New Testament, another idea is layered over top of this. The the idea of repentance is a new way of thinking about things, a fresh perspective, a new understanding, insight. In particular, God opening your mind up, my mind up to a new way of understanding. And so that when you read in Luke chapter 15 about the prodigal, he, he has a repentance moment, and the Bible records it as when he came to himself, when, when he thought clearly, when he thought again, when, when he saw things fresh, he had a new idea about his father. That's what repentance looks like in the New Testament. So that if you wrap them together, we get a very distinct idea of people, repenting people are, are, are people that get new, fresh perspectives, have open minds and open new ideas, but it also leads to some kind of action. There are outward gestures that are noticeable. We ought ought to be able to look around the world and see people engaged in acts of repentance. It will look like something. We will be able to tell they're on a highway back towards God. That's the idea of biblical repentance, I believe. I think it is an invitation for us during Advent. It is one activity we could engage in, one preparation we could take while waiting for the birth of the Christ child. Engage in acts of repentance. So I suggest repentance is, first of all, an opening of the mind, being open to new ideas, new ways of thinking about things, asking, what am I holding on to? What is anchored in my mind so deeply? I will never let go of this perspective. I will never let go of this conclusion. I know this is true. What are those things in your mind? Perhaps things that have kept you alienated from God. What, what are those anchored ideas? Because repentance asks us to reevaluate those and perhaps let go of them. Repentance asks us to sort of clear out the congestion. Where are the roadblocks? Where could you make a little turn? Where is there a little insight? Open up your mind. I don't know that it's easy work, and maybe sometimes it's messy work. We had a little roadblock back here in the facility a few weeks ago. My mother would probably talk about it this way. You, you know how every house has a junk drawer? Do you have one of those? You have a junk drawer? You have two? 
Some, some rooms, every room has a junk drawer. Now, my mother talks about a junk drawer this way, and I can, ju- I can probably imitate her pretty good. The only reason we have a junk drawer in the house is because you people won't put things away. If y'all weren't so lazy, there wouldn't be a junk drawer. Because just open the junk drawer and look at it. Most of it belongs in the trash. Right? Is that what your junk drawer? In fact, I opened my junk drawer yesterday at home. Yeah, most of it belongs in the trash. Because lazy people don't want to put things away. Well, we have a, a junk drawer in the Calamesa church. It's the music room. I, I noticed when I came to join you a couple of years ago. And so in September, we went into the junk drawer, the pastoral staff, because we, we realized this is a junk drawer. And if we would actually clear out the congestion, make way, if you'll allow the metaphor this morning, make way, clear things out, let a highway, let something could happen in there. And so the pastors got busy, and a few other people got busy, and we have the most beautiful space now. It's called a music room. Pe- people like Mike Filman could actually go in there and find the piano now. It's beautiful. But it also has become the home of a new Sabbath school class because there are more people who needed a space to think and talk about God. You get my point. If we would clear it out, we could create a space for people to meet God. And it looks fabulous, and don't you dare make it a junk drawer again. We have surveillance cameras now. This is this big. You, you will pay double for your sins. It's a beautiful space, which is why you see things collected in the hallway because Christmas decorations are going up. They can't go in the junk drawer. There's no more junk drawer. So it sometimes looks a little messy like that while you're reorganizing and cleaning things out and and moving things aside and, and getting congestion away and throwing in the trash what needs to go in the trash. Some of us have a junk drawer where God is concerned, and in the junk drawer are things that keep us from an open mind, from a new perspective. What are you holding on to? What's the mindset that you're not willing to forfeit where God is concerned? What is in the past that's occupying your present, which is keeping you from this open highway connecting you with God? Isaiah tells us, get rid of it. Build a highway today because God wants to be present. Clean out the junk drawer. Repentance, I think, is less about sorrow and guilt and sort of festering all of this. It's less about horrible, terrible, gut-wrenching work, and it's more about the potential for a a new perspective, a new tomorrow, a a hope-filled opportunity, something better up ahead. At least that's how Isaiah talks about it. It it can happen, actually, with just one word, repentance. It doesn't take a long diatribe. While the journey may take a little bit of time, repentance can really happen with one word or with just one gesture, with one movement back towards God. For the tax collector in the Gospels, for the prodigal son, it's just one word. They just confess one word and repentance happens. They've taken their step back to God. So for you and I, it could just be one word, one gesture. One idea we give up, one little thing could unleash for you and I a a whole new highway available. When Kirby and I were going through our premarital counseling, I'll never forget that the counselor told us, and I may have shared with you, the counselor said, when you're having a heated debate, the best thing is for whoever is not wrong, you know, there's an offending party, 
It's dangerous already, isn't it? Whoever's not wrong, and then whoever's wrong. Whoever's not wrong, just say, I'm sorry. Just jump up and say, I'm sorry. You don't have anything to be sorry for, but just say it. Because you'll change the entire mood in the room. Just say, I'm sorry. It'll be the one word, the one gesture. So for us, we spent the whole first year of our marriage saying, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. You can't be sorry because I'm sorry. It's my turn to be sorry. You were so- You understand the problem. But one word. It's true though, isn't it? One word. One gesture could change the entire environment. Friends, I want us to think not only about the highway and the roadway back to God, but the the highway and the roadway in our own personal relationships. Because the holidays are so full of stress on good relationships, fractured and challenged relationships can sometimes sink this time of year. There can be a lot of pain and sorrow relationally during the holidays. And you know, I'm not telling you something you don't know that many of us haven't experienced. What if we use the time of Advent not to sort of drown in that, but to think of the path of repentance in our own relationships, at home, at work, with our extended family? Just one word, just one gesture. Could you isolate one thing? New way of thinking about something, something you could say that could open up a highway, a potential for connectedness again in your personal relationships at home. Could you think of just one thing? Advent is a time for repentance, for acts of repentance. We choose sometimes, instead of that, to bring chaos instead of calm. We choose to bring judgment instead of joy into our homes. We choose, instead of bringing peace, to bring problems. At the very time when God is announcing, I'll do something new. God wants to be present. I would like to show up. I would like to create something here. And and oftentimes, you and I hang on to that which is old, which keeps God from doing something new. The text is so clear. God wants to be present. God, the invitation to open up the pathway, a line of access, a place for the connection to take place, for God to do something in your life, in my life, in our relationships. Towards getting perspective on our own situation when I think about repentance, it's easier for me to figure out what you need to do than what I need to do, right? So towards getting perspective on my own situation, it very much helps me to engage in acts of service, and even right now at the busiest time of the year. In fact, I would advise you as your friend and pastor, do not go through the holidays without serving someone else. While I believe the Christian life is largely about service, and for many good reasons, biblically grounded reasons, there are a self, there's a selfish reason or two. I believe acts of service are especially helpful right now. Because when I'm engaged in acts of service, when I'm in somebody else's house, I do get a new perspective. I do see things differently. When I walk in someone else's shoes, when I sit and look at life from where they sit and look in life, I come back changed. Do you understand? You, you have that experience too? I just want to give you a minute conversation with a woman from the House of Decision, our Christmas tree offering, one of the projects from Cherry Valley. You won't see her face in the interview because we're not allowed to show you her face, but just listen 
Listen to her story just for one minute. So when they pick a room or when they walk through, they're they're like ducking windows. And these are a couple of gentlemen from the Sunday Adventist Church in Cala Mesa. Hi. How are you? I'm Isaac Kim. Meet nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, Justin. I might, I might, what'd you get me? A pair of socks? Yep. Seas. Dark Seas. chocolate from Seas. Dark chocolate? Yeah. Wait. It was three years, September 29th. And where did you come from? We were living under the bridge on Lambs Canyon, going down into Hemet. And what kind of a job did you have before? Before coming homeless? I yeah. used to work for the county of Riverside as and, a welfare worker. Uh-huh. And you got sideswiped by a bunch of guys using and abusing, and you ran with them for a while, lost your place, lost your job, and wound Even up. Even lost my son for a while. Lost your son. And then and I ended up getting my son back, getting into recovery, but the same cycle was starting again. So instead of losing my son, I just lost my apartment, and we ended up staying in motels for a while, but then the money was running out, so I had to stay somewhere, and there was people I knew that were staying under the bridge in the wash. And so we went and stayed there. We had money to eat, and he had a tent and a fire every night, and we stayed there, but then... Um, I had ran into someone I hadn't seen in seven years, and he brought me over to show me his house here in Cherry Valley, and then he told me about the woman's home on 6th Street. He didn't know what it was or anything at the time. He said, do you want to drive by there and see? And so I said, yes. <laughs> and uh, the next day at 12, I came. And Bertha said that was when she was leaving. She was going to a funeral in Texas, and she's all, you go and your son can stay tonight. Just talk to BJ in the morning. <laughs> and so we did. And I've never wanted to leave since. <laughs> You catch that? A social worker from the county of Riverside living under a wash in Hemet. Lost custody of her son. And when I go and listen to people like this speak, and and I meet Vietnam vets who spent seven and eight years on Skid Row after serving their country, and and now they're in, in the house of decision out here. When I spend a little time with people whose lives are so very different than mine, I always come back with a different perspective. I come back with an understanding of the fragility of life that Isaiah talks about. Read through chapter 40 this afternoon. It's fragile. Life is fragile. Could change for any of us. But I always come back from service opportunities a little more planted in my commitment to be open to what God's asking from me. To be open to make things more whole in my own environment. Acts of service change us. They change us in terms of repentance and making us more able and capable and desirable, desiring to make the connections in our lives and in our relationships. Acts of repentance for Advent. I hope you'll notice in Isaiah 40 all that God wants to do, all that's promised there. God wants to comfort us. God wants to speak tenderly, to bless us doubly, to reward us, to feed us, to gather us, to carry us, to gently lead us. God wants to favor us and restore us and pardon us, speak peace to us, save us, deal patiently with us. This is all that comes as a result of building a highway. That's what God wants to do for you. It's a beautiful picture in Isaiah. Please don't miss, because it is so easy to do, that when Isaiah, the divine council, meets and they speak about this new age that's dawning, already existing there 
is the experience of forgiveness. The Israelites have been forgiven. It is out of their experience of forgiveness, as a response to their forgiveness, that now God says, why don't you make a highway and connect us again? Remember, God always acts first in Scripture. Grace is always first. God is always first. Humans are always in response to what God is already doing. And Isaiah reminds us so loudly this morning, you're forgiven. What about opening a highway and reconnecting? Acts of repentance for Advent. In a parochial school, a group of children were given permission to write psalms to express themselves to God. Being little people lost in an adult world in church often, they were given this opportunity as a classroom, just write down what it is you'd like to say to God, whatever comes out. One boy wrote a poem entitled, The Monster Who Was Sorry. He began in his poem by admitting that he hates it when his father yells at him. In the poem, he says that his response to the father is to throw the sister down the staircase and then to go and wreck his room and then to go and wreck the entire town where they live. The poem concludes by the little boy saying, Then I sit in my messy house and I say to myself, I shouldn't have done all of that. That, friends, is repentance. It's just one, one statement acknowledging, I shouldn't have done all of that. With more honesty than what most adults can muster, the little boy is on the path to repentance and now gets to choose to start cleaning the mess up by the grace of God. That's an act of repentance. It's why Isaac Watts in the hymn at Christmas time says, so let's prepare him room to do what he wants to do. As far as the curse is found, that's as far as the blessings of God want to go during the holiday. That's the reality of Advent. Isaiah 40, those words, comfort her, comfort her, my people, says our God. When Handel writes the Messiah, those are the opening lines that are used. He writes the Messiah in just a few short days. What is it, 24 days? In 1742, it opens in London. It's a smashing success. It's a charity event. They raise over 400 pounds then in 1742. They release over 150 men from debtor's prison with this one oratorio. And afterwards, Handel is congratulated on this beautiful piece that begins, comfort them, comfort them. And he's told, what what wonderful entertainment you've provided. And he responds to the Lord, oh, I, I was hoping to do more than entertain them. I was hoping to change them. I was hoping to change you. That's the prophet Isaiah for you and I during Advent. Build a highway reconnect, your God will be present, hoping to change us this season. Amen.